Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. The early church life of the saints in first-century Jerusalem was typified by extremes in their environment. On the one hand, the Lord was moving mightily among them, and their enjoyment of Christ was nearly boundless. But outwardly, their environment was harsh due to the oppression and persecution by the religious and political leaders. This persecution resulted in the eventual scattering of believers away from Jerusalem. But this scattering was used by God to spread the gospel into new regions. Stay with us for another remarkable exploration of the book of Acts on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. And Dennis Higashi is with us once again today. Dennis, this is one of those messages from the ministry of Witness Lee that I believe will be a surprise to most listeners uh, in the depth and significance that we will see in a passage of Scripture that is most often, I would imagine, overlooked. I would agree with that, Chris. Uh, I like the word that you use, exploration, here. It almost seems like every time we go to the ministries of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, a mind is open up, and you just have the feeling that you are exploring the riches of the divine revelation. It is so profitable, it is so enjoyable, and it is so refreshing to see all the treasures of the divine truth and revelation revealed to us through the, our brother's ministries. I just have to concur with your uh, testimony, Dennis. It's the same, and I believe we have now the weight of the testimony of so many of our listeners. They call, and they write, and they make almost exactly that same comment, that the Word is just different to them. They're seeing it in such a more profound and uh, meaningful way, passages of Scripture that they would just take for granted. It's uh, such a blessing and such a privilege to handle the Word in this kind of way. Absolutely. It's so encouraging to see that the Word of God is really for all of His children today. Dennis, I think that for our program today, it's important to hear a few of our verses from chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses primarily 14 through 17 today. I'm going to go ahead and read those. This is from the recovery version of the New Testament. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who went down and prayed for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them, but they had only been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. This is our passage today, Dennis. Let's join Witness Lee with our first portion of today's life study. The very strong point, even I hesitate to point it to you. That is, the scattered saints did a good job. They migrated with the uh, Gospels, and Philip strengthened their preaching. A marvelous work was done. 
But listen, verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who went down and prayed for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Through the preaching of the migration and the evangelist Philip, the Lord did a lot, but the Lord reserved one thing. He reserved the economical spirit. The Lord did everything through the migration and the evangelist. But one thing he reserved, the economical spirit. Why? Number one, the Lord lacked to set up a pattern. The gospel work should not be independent from the body of Christ. The migration went out, and the evangelists went with it. They did a good work. I tell you, if the Lord gave them everything, and this will encourage them to be independent, they would say, okay, Peter and John, you can do that thing in Jerusalem, and we can do the same. You see? Whatever you can do, we can also. I tell you, the Lord kept one thing. The economical spirit. See? Read it again. Who went down and prayed for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Then we read verse 16. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. The economic spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. Why? Let's read. This does not mean that new believers in Samaria had not received the Holy Spirit within them essentially when they believed in the Lord. According to teaching of the New Testament in Ephesians 1.13 and Galatians 3.2, they should have received the Holy Spirit essentially when they believed for their regeneration based upon John 3, 6, and 36. But they had not yet received the Spirit economically to identify them with the body of Christ. The reason the Holy Spirit did not fall upon them outwardly and economically was so that the apostles through whom the practical establishment of the church was initiated in Jerusalem might come to bring them into identification with the body of Christ. This case is different from those in the house of Cornelius, who received the Holy Spirit when they believed in the Lord Jesus, both essentially within them for regeneration and economically upon them for baptism into the body of Christ and identification with the body of Christ. In need a last study. The economical spirit falling upon the believers is for the baptism into the body of Christ and for the identification with the body of Christ. That was because gospel was preached then directed by Peter who played the main role 
in the initiation of the practical establishment of the church. Dennis, this point is really marvelous. The believers that had been scattered due to the persecution in Jerusalem were very much used by the Lord to spread the gospel into new areas like Samaria. And the apostles, according to verse 1, were purposely held back. But the Lord withheld one very important element, the poured out or economical spirit. What did the Lord gain by reserving the spirit until the apostles had joined them? We can see from the context of Acts chapter 8 that in the midst of a situation of severe persecution, the apostles were the only ones left in Jerusalem there, and all the other uh, believers were scattered throughout the region. In the scattering, so many of them announced the good news or announced the gospel. What transpired was so many new believers were being added. And what happened here in Acts chapter 8 is very interesting. You asked the point, what did the Lord gain by reserving the Spirit until the apostles joined them? We can see from this passage in Acts 8, the believers in Samaria received the Spirit essentially for their life and existence. But the Lord reserved one thing, and that is to receive the Spirit economically. Peter, as a representative, was sent there for this very purpose. The Samaritan believers received the Spirit economically, primarily to identify them with the body of Christ. This saved, I would even say preserved, the oneness of the body. Philip and the others were there speaking the gospel. So many believers were being saved. Yet they may have had a tendency to become independent, stating to themselves, maybe what Peter did, we can do. We don't maybe need the apostles there from Jerusalem. But the Lord, in order to preserve the oneness of the body, reserved this one thing, the pouring out of the Spirit economically. Then when Peter, as a representative of the body of Christ, came there, the Spirit was poured out, and this identified them with the unique one body of Christ. Dennis, the two facts, these two aspects put together really give us quite a picture. On the one hand, the Lord held back the apostles, and that was verse 1, and sent out the, I guess, what we would call the common saints, the common believers. And he utilized them to preach the gospel, to spread the good news in all of these new regions, which really brought these uh, ordinary common believers into a real function in the body of Christ. But to guard against this uh, tendency to be independent or self-exalting, he held back the poured out economical spirit until the apostles came really identifying the oneness of the body. It's an incredible balance here, and it's another one of those hidden things that until it's brought to light in the ministry, uh, it's the kind of thing we would just step over and never take a second look. I agree wholeheartedly. This is a treasure in a deep mind. Dennis, let's rejoin Witness Lee for another portion of our life study. Some immigrate to uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and begin and work there, then you think you got everything, you could do everything, you have all, then you became independent. Then actually you became a division, a sect. But in chapter 8, the pattern shows us the head of the body was sovereign. He gave everything. But he didn't give the economic spirit until the apostles heard and uh, came 
to Samaria and uh, laid their hand on the new Sumerian believers until this time the economical spirit came upon the new believers. And this was a great point. Today, nobody cares for this kind of thing. Everyone thinks, I'm qualified. Today in the U.S., for the Chinese people to come to this country, two business are so easy to do. One is to open a restaurant. The other is to open a church. It seems every Chinese can open up a restaurant. And meanwhile, everybody can open up a church. I have a wife with two daughters, plus one boy with five members. And then I declared we are the Taiwan Chinese church. I opened a church. And then I collect my nephew, my niece, my aunt, relatives, friends. And after two months, I will have 25 people. Then after half year, we will have 80 people. We are a Taiwan Chinese church. It's terrible. Do you believe that in the ancient time, and picture time, the migrants went out? They established a church of their own? No. They carry out the body. They spread the body of Christ. You see the point? They needed a kind of confirmation. So the apostles came to them to confirm them, to identify them by laying on their hand on the new believers. That the Spirit came upon all the new believers economically for their identification with the body of Christ. So whatever they did in Samaria was not a separate and independent work. Whatever was there produced was the spreading of the body of Christ. That was not a church belonging independently, separately to those migrated saints. Neither there was a work independently, separately belonging to Philip. No, that was a part of the body. Whatever came out through the migration and through favor teaching became a part of the body of Christ. And thus, the oneness of the body was spontaneously kept there. Not like today. Could we all see this? Then, another good point. After everything finished, so much reliance exercised upon Philip. People, no doubt, trusted in him, relied upon him. Then out of a sudden, the Spirit didn't say to him, Philip, live here. No. The Spirit came caught him away. I tell you, sisters, if you sister there, would eventually all weep. Won't you? Sister, suppose you were there. You were there. Philip helped you a lot. 
Uh, Philip established the church there. He did a lot, right? You treasure him, rely upon him. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit took him away. The next morning, you would say, where's Brother Philip? He's gone. Where? We don't know. Nobody knows. Won't you wait, sister? You see the principle? Dennis, the new believers in Samaria had a real and genuine entrance into the Christian life. And therefore, as you pointed out earlier, they must have received the indwelling spirit or the essential spirit for their regeneration at the moment that they believed. But their receiving of the economical spirit at the coming of Peter and John really brings this whole matter of the economical and essential spirit to the surface again. Uh, We've touched on this many times by now in previous programs. But since this understanding, I think, is new to most people, it bears another visit. What do we see from Acts, Dennis, about these two manifestations or aspects of the one spirit? I would say in a simple way, the essential spirit is for our life and existence. The economical spirit is for our function and our work. The essential spirit is something that transpires within us whereas the economical spirit is something that transpires upon us. This is the main distinction or difference between the two, the essential and the economical spirit. These two words are a marvelous description of the two aspects of this one unique spirit, essentially within, economical without. I would like to emphasize primarily this matter of the essential spirit. What does this mean? we can see the essential spirit primarily means the very essence, the very nature, the very life, the very element of God becomes ours. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 6.17, one of the greatest verses in the New Testament, speaks that he who has been joined to the Lord is one spirit. This joining is really the aspect of the essential spirit. Think about it, Chris. We are actually joined to the Lord. What does this mean? We are not just joined intellectually. We are not just joined philosophically. We are not just joined through a mental agreement. Our relationship with the Lord is one of, I would describe, organic. We actually have received the very element, the very life, the very nature of God himself. This is truly remarkable that human beings could receive the life, the nature, the element, and the essence of God. Dennis, that's a a profound picture. And, I, uh, of course, our radio listeners uh, couldn't benefit, but I certainly did. Your animation as you got to that point, I could tell this is something that holds a very deep place in your feeling uh, toward the word and the revelation that you have come into in your own life and which we each day try to bring bit by bit to our listeners. Absolutely, Chris. And it is unfortunate today that so much of our thought about God, our relationship about God, when we think about God, is God is far away and we are here on the earth, where the whole thought of the Bible is that God wants to be brought to man. And this is highlighted and this is protruding out of the revelation of the New Testament, especially in these two words, in Christ or in him or in Christ Jesus. This describes our relationship with the Lord, not of a distance, but of one that is so intimate and a union. I think Witness Lee has mentioned a number of times organic union. This really describes our experience and our 
contact and our relationship with God himself. And not a union just in the mind or a mental agreement, but a union actually in life until we become one spirit. When you think about it, Chris, in 1 Corinthians 6.17, the spirit who is the Lord is joined to our spirit. The conclusion is not two spirits, but one spirit. Mm. This shows that we are actually one with the Lord in a marvelous way of identification. And I think this describes the feeling or the experience of the essential spirit. When the spirit comes to us, he regenerates us, we are born again. Something new, a new element is produced into us. This is God's very life and God's very nature. What a marvelous revelation. Again, we can see from the portion of Acts here, that the disciples in their experience received the Lord essentially, but they also received the Lord economically. Dan is speaking again of the essential. Uh, I like the phrase you used, not a union of, I believe you said, uh, intellectually or a union philosophically. This is a life union. Absolutely. Of course, we need the outpouring, the economical spirit as well. But the essential, I think, is the easier one for us to miss in our Christian walk. We often look to the Lord to empower us or strengthen us or enable us to do mighty things on his behalf. But day by day, we need this essential life union with him. And the essential uh, implies that uh, it's a matter of life or a matter of his existence, and life is more important than power. Existence is more important than work. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis, let's go back to Witness Lee. When we go out to anywhere, and establish a church anywhere, be prepared to be caught away. But most of us would want, my goodness, a strong church established, here will be my home. I will buy a house and get myself settled. How about this? Are you happy to be caught away? You may think, well, that's wonderful. That's the pre-high enjoyment of rapture. Well, surely that is a kind of ecstasy. <laughs> but I don't think so. Brother Bill, he is now moving from Newton to Hartford, Connecticut. I'm a little concerned that Bill will go to work for some time. Hallelujah. The church will be raised up. Then... He will move there and buy a house and get himself settled. Well, this is our way. I don't mean everybody has to move out. We always need to get ready to be caught away. No work should remain in our hand. To be caught away simply means not to keep any work in your hand. Regardless how much you have done how well you have accomplished. You must be ready to leave that work. To leave that work to the church, to the saints, and to the Lord. Let the Spirit catch you and carry you away. Sorry to say, I did a lot in Chifu. And I did quite much in Shanghai. And also I did more in Taiwan within six to seven years. The increase under my ministry was from about 400 saints up to 50,000. More than a hundredfold increase in Taiwan from 1949 
1956. But I was ready to go away, and eventually I did go away. Most preachers and ministers would consider their work as their career. And to keep their work in their pocket. Once a church was built up by them, that becomes the pocket church. This is a hard thing. Regardless of how much we do, how much we can accomplish, and how much we have accomplished, we must be ready to go away. Leaving the work to the church, to the saints, and to the Lord Himself. Here's a good principle. We must see this. Dennis, we see a point in this third section that reinforces something that you and I spoke about the other day, and that is the tendency of most Christian workers to want to hold on to their work very tightly and how they become indispensable to their ministry. But that's not really the pattern that the New Testament reveals to us, is it? No, we don't see that pattern at all in Acts chapter 8. We see that the believers who had spoken the gospel, the good news, so many got saved through them, but they could not do everything by themselves. They needed the apostles, they needed Peter and others to come down to identify them with the body of Christ. We can see from the pattern here that the believers, both Peter and Philip especially, did not hold on to their work at all. Uh, Philip was caught away shortly after this, but the work there in Samaria did not crumble. Philip was a Christian worker there, but when he was caught away, the church and the believers were still going on in a positive way. I agree with Witness Lee, Chris, that most preachers and ministers would consider their work as their career, and they like to keep things in their own pocket. But we can see a marvelous pattern here, regardless of how much we do, what we can accomplish, what success we've had. Eventually, we have to be ready to be caught away, as Philip was leaving the work to the church, to the saints, and even to the Lord himself. We see a good principle and a good pattern established here. It's the second time, Dennis, in Acts that we've seen this, this example, a similar example. I think the Lord is speaking uh, to all of us that, to have our hand in some kind of ministry work, that we need to work and we need to labor with him, but we can't keep anything so tightly held that if we were gone, the thing would crumble. Absolutely. This is really the principle. Uh, Dennis, I've really enjoyed our fellowship again. Another remarkable life study has been opened up for us, bringing up to light so many of these hidden points. We, we don't need to belabor the point. I think we've made it today. But it's uh, surely a pleasure to have you involved, and thank you again for being with us. Come back very soon. I will. Thank you, Chris. Call our toll-free number, and that number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Or when you write to us at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or when you send your email to radio at lsm.org. Today for Dennis Agashi, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 
3788. Thanks for listening.